0: Uh, our Bible reading this morning is the book of Luke chapter 17, verses one to 10. Jesus said to his disciples, "Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble." So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Uh, I'm Ben, I'm a ministry trainee here. Uh, Should we pray as we hear God's word? Lord Jesus, as ever, you have strong, challenging words for us this morning. So please be at work by your Holy Spirit to convince us of their truth and turn those convictions into actions. Please Lord, make us a church of people who do rebuke and exhaustively forgive each other. Amen. Uh, the first time that I came up to the front of church, I was a little bit intimidated by these big stones up on the wall. You know, this uh, big kind of blue thing here is very nice. It's called a reredos, I'm told. Um, and I sometimes ask myself, uh, how exactly is that attached to the wall? Like it definitely been done correctly because, you know, don't want to climb up here to do some hoovering and then splat, get squashed by one of those stones. Uh, Maybe a little bit uneasy at first, but I've got used to it now, I think. Um, If anyone does know how that's attached, I'd be really interested to know, so please tell me. Um, Today, in our passage, Jesus, he's gonna start by saying, watch out. But don't worry about stones falling on you. Don't even worry about having a stone of that size tied around your neck and being thrown into the sea with you. Because both of those things are Nothing compared to what will happen to you if you cause someone to stop being a Christian because you weren't willing to rebuke and forgive your Christian brothers and sisters, says Jesus. Uh, Just got 10 verses today, but Jesus, he packs a lot into them. Uh, You'll see you've got an outline on your notice sheet. Uh, Here you go, so three points. You'll see Jesus gives us a warning, verses one and two, Uh, Then a command to rebuke and exhaustively forgive, verses 3 and 4. And then he tells us the power for that command in verses 5 to 10. That's where we're going. So, first, then, the warning the seriousness of stumbling others. I've called this, it's quite a nice heading. I stole that from another preacher, actually. Uh, This warning, it's a very simple warning, Jesus says, don't cause little ones to stumble. So, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come but woe to anyone through whom they come it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble Jesus says don't cause little ones to stumble they might hear that and think oh sorry what's he talking about was he saying like don't push children over like what's going on there Uh, Well, you shouldn't push children over, but I think, in short, what Jesus means is, when he says little ones, I think he means new, perhaps vulnerable believers. Uh, I think Jesus, he's particularly got in mind the sorts of people, the sorts of unlikely people that he's been welcoming into the kingdom of God. So tax collectors, prostitutes, Gentiles, sinners, I think those sorts of people are the little ones, the newcomers. Uh, And I think by stumbling, Jesus means to cause them to give up on their faith, so Jesus says don't cause new believers to stumble out of the kingdom of God. Uh, I think he's particularly got this idea of stumbling on the brain because he's just been confronting the Pharisees and these Pharisees they've been sneering and muttering at seeing Jesus hanging out with these little ones these new believers who are coming into the kingdom. And Jesus says look if you cause people to stumble out of his kingdom through through your own sin, through false teaching or whatever, better be ready for the consequences. Because if you do, Jesus says, verse two, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck. I mean, a millstone. A millstone is a huge, heavy stone for crushing grain into flour. I'm imagining sort of a similar size, probably a bit thicker, kind of one of those ones on the wall. So a massive stone. Jesus says, drowning with one of those stones tied around your neck. That would be better. That would literally be, literally in the Greek, more profitable. That would be more profitable for you than if you were to cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom. Uh, imagine tomorrow you're sitting in a meeting at work, and you're kind of doing a little brainstorming session. And someone in the group just suggests an absolutely terrible idea, like a, just a complete stinker of an idea. I'm sure we have been in those situations. Someone brings up a terrible idea, and your boss, who's running the meeting, they say, "Okay, okay, we could do that idea, but I tell you what, I've got a better idea." I think this, this would be better, this would be better, more profitable for us. Why don't we instead, let's grab a massive stone, stick it in my car boot, we'll drive to the coast, take a boat out to the middle of the North Sea, tie those stones around our necks and we'll jump with them into the sea. I think that would be more profitable for our business than your suggestion. All right, all right sorry, I get it. My idea was bad. i have to go on about it. But that is what Jesus is saying, I think. Causing someone to stumble out of the kingdom. Oh, it's so serious. It it really would be better for you, more profitable to drown with a millstone around your neck. I mean, you know, I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but I really can't imagine many worse ways of dying than being dragged into the blackness of the bottom of the sea by the neck. I mean, oh. And Jesus says, that is how serious it is to cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom. So bring words, aren't they, if you're in any kind of position of spiritual authority. If you're a pastor, or an elder, or a bishop, a home group leader, a junior church leader, a parent. Because if someone, another Christian or a child, sees you teaching one thing and living another way, that could erode their faith. And Jesus says, if you're the person who makes that happen, you're better off in the sea with a millstone around your neck. And what he has waiting for you. I mean, <laughs> That's verse one and two, this big, vivid warning about the seriousness of stumbling others. Jesus, He's got our attention, right? Um, and then verse three and four, I think he puts his finger on one particular way that we as His followers, His disciples, one way that we are particularly in danger of making people stumble out of the kingdom. So let's pick up verse three. Jesus says, "So watch yourselves." If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So if you've heard this warning about the millstone, and you want to avoid making people you want to avoid making people stumble out of the kingdom, Jesus gives you two simple things you're supposed to do. Okay? So if you're a Christian, sorry, if a Christian sins against you, you've got to rebuke them. And if they repent of that sin, forgive them. Those two things, Jesus says, those are key to stopping other believers from stumbling out of the kingdom. Rebuke and exhaustively forgive. So think about those two uh, in turn briefly. So first, rebuke. Jesus says, if your Christian brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Let them know that they've done wrong. Don't just ignore it. Because you know, if, if we as a, as a community of believers, as a church or as a, a Christian family or a group of Christian housemates, if, if we aren't willing to rebuke each other, oh man, that is damaging, isn't it? Uh, you know, imagine, uh, imagine if after the service Brian came up, birthday boy Brian, imagine if Brian came up and just slapped me really hard around the face uh, and no one does nothing about that. Um, imagine that scene and imagine a new believer looking on what would they think about this group of Christians they've just joined? If Brian just slaps me and no one does anything? They probably think, oh, these Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Like they're always going on about how bad sin is, but Brian just slapped Ben and no one cared. Or well, they might think, these Christians, they're not very serious about stopping the sin from continuing, are they? Like who's Brian gonna slap next? Uh, and these Christians, they're clearly not serious about helping Brian grow. They're not challenging him. They're happy to just let his heart rot. It's not loving. And you see, if sin goes unchallenged, it might cause this new believer to stumble out of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, you've got to rebuke Christians when they sin. Uh, look, the Bible does also say elsewhere that you don't always need to rebuke. Like There is a place for just overlooking sin. That's a, that's a good Christian thing to do. And I think it's a wisdom call to know which of those two are appropriate. Uh, but here, Jesus, he's talking about sins that do need to be dealt with and rebuked. So that was our first command, rebuke. Then uh, the second command, uh, still in verse three, is forgive exhaustively. So verse three, So watch yourselves. Uh, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So Jesus says, when someone sins against you and they repent, you should forgive them. Again, the implication being, if Christians don't forgive each other, it's going to make people stumble out of the kingdom. We must forgive. Because you know... Imagine a new believer comes to church and just sees a bunch of Christians full of resentment, refusing to forgive each other. Is that a group of people that you want to join? A group of people with healthy relationships? New believer might think, oh gosh, you know, I'm not perfect. I'll probably end up sinning against someone at some point in this church and and when that happens, if I repent, are they going to forgive me? Probably not on the basis of what I'm seeing. And they might stumble out of the kingdom of God. God. Jesus says you've got to forgive. Uh, now, again, this isn't everything the Bible has to say about forgiveness. Um, and notice, crucially, um, we're talking here about times when the person who sinned, they are truly repentant, right? Jesus says twice, forgive them if they repent. So please don't hear this as a command to like, forgive unconditionally if you're being abused in some way. That's just not what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, no, Jesus says if someone really is repentant and they really have turned around... Got to forgive them and you've got to forgive exhaustively verse 4 Jesus says even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying I repent you must forgive them Whew, that's hard isn't it you know we tell stories don't we about people who wrong us twice in one day you know you'll never believe this first he did such and such he said sorry I was like fine it's fine and then an hour later, he did the exact same thing again. I mean, what kind of idiot does he take me for? Forgiving someone once or twice, that's hard enough, isn't it? Jesus says, if someone sins against you and then repents seven times in a day, you must still forgive them. Forgive endlessly, forgive exhaustively sin, repent, forgive, 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 sin, repent, still got to forgive. Jesus says forgive them exhaustively. That's really hard. Forgiving sin, it is hard and it's costly, isn't it? Jesus says you've got to do it. If you don't, it might cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, watch yourselves, rebuke and exhaustively forgive. Think in the end about how we might do that practically. So we've had a warning, the seriousness of stumbling others. We've had a command, rebuke and exhaustively forgive. Uh, And now Jesus shows his disciples the power, how they can possibly live that way in verses 5 to 10. So the apostles, verse 5, the 12 have been listening to all this, the 12 apostles, and they say, increase our faith. Meaning, whew, good grief, Jesus. That is a high bar you are setting. Like Forgive someone seven times in a day? Oh, I just don't think I can do that. Like maybe some kind of super follower, some super disciple could do that, but not me. I would need more faith before I could do that. But Jesus, he sees things differently. Verse six, Jesus replied, oh, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. So a mustard seed, a tiny, barely visible object, a very barely visible seed, you know, the smallest thing you can imagine, basically. And then a mulberry tree, absolutely massive. The point Jesus makes is even the tiniest amount of faith, even a mustard seed-sized amount of faith, can do something impossible, like telling a massive tree to jump into the sea. You see what he's doing? So the apostles say, oh, Lord, increase our faith. I need more faith to forgive the way you want me to. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't need big faith. A tiny bit of faith is enough to do something that seems impossible, like forgiving exhaustively. You don't have to be some kind of super mega Christian to forgive the way that Jesus commands. You just need a tiny bit of faith. It's very ordinary. Any Christian can do it. Uh, And then he tells us this parable in verses 7 to 10, which kind of makes a similar point, I think. So verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Uh, I think Jesus tells us to to say, showing exhaustive forgiveness is not some kind of bonus, extra credit task for a Christian. It's just part of the Christian life. It's it's your job. Uh, I've got a few regular jobs here on a Sunday. Uh, I usually get here about 9am. I kind of set things up. I go to both services, and then I clear off a bit afterwards, and then I lock up. Uh, Those are my jobs on a Sunday. Uh, Now, you know what I don't do each week? Uh, Each Sunday at about 1 p.m. after I've locked up, I don't go next door, knock on Pete's door, and say, hey, Pete, guess what? I locked up church. I did the front door. I did the side door. I did the padlock on the gate. What do you think of that? Pretty impressive, right? Uh, What would Pete say if I waltzed, waltzed over to his house and said that? I mean, you know, knowing Pete, he probably says something really nice and encouraging. But he doesn't have to, does he? Uh, He'd be well within his rights to say, okay, great, thanks, Ben. Locking up on Sundays is part of your job, it's in your contract. It's not some kind of magic task. You are just doing your job. Uh, And Jesus says it's the same with forgiveness. Forgiving other Christians, even exhaustively, seven times a day, it's not some amazing feat deserving of special praise from God. It's just normal. It's your job. So do you see, verse 5 to 10, the power to forgive people exhaustively is just ordinary faith. You only need faith as small as a mustard seed. It's not a magic extracurricular task. It's our bread and butter as Christians. It's your job. Question, how do you feel about that? Because... You could hear that and feel undermined. You know, like, all right, Jesus, I get it. I better, I better start forgiving. I've not got any excuses. And I think, to be honest, that probably is correct, isn't it? Jesus, he is sweeping away our excuses here. Um, but when you focus in on the, the tiny, the ordinary mustard seed sized faith in verse six, I think it's really inspiring for us as well. Because, look, the faith you and I have, it may feel ordinary and small and tiny, like a little mustard seed that you can barely see. But the thing the faith is in, oh man, you better believe that that is not ordinary. Because as Christians, we have faith in the good news of Jesus. That is what you've got faith in, that God's promised King, He's come and He's fulfilled the scriptures. He died, He was raised to new life so that your sins can be forgiven. Our sin against God, this ancient problem that stretches all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's now been dealt with. That is the good news that runs all the way through Luke from beginning to end. And if that's the thing that you've got faith in, that is going to change the way that you forgive others, right? Like when you see the way that God's forgiven us, suddenly forgiving each other, it does just become very ordinary and unimpressive, I think. It's fair enough that God basically just commands us to get on with it because it's our duty. Jesus says the power to forgive others exhaustively. It's just ordinary faith. Any Christian can and should do it. Jesus has covered a lot of ground in 10 verses. We had this dire warning at the beginning about causing other believers to stumble out of the kingdom. We've got a command to heed the warning by rebuking and exhaustively forgiving each other. And then the power, ordinary faith in the extraordinary gospel Uh, So what does it look like uh, for you and me to rebuke and exhaustively forgive other believers, if that's what we're commanded to do? Uh, I think that the way that you and I respond to this will depend on your temperament a bit. So I think we all exist, don't we, on a spectrum of kind of how direct, upfront with people you are. So, you know, imagine a scale with me, this end to this end, maybe this is helpful. Um, At one end of our scale, we've got direct Darren, okay? So direct Darren, he wears his heart on his sleeve, if you upset Darren, then he will let you know about it, make no mistake. Direct Darren at one end. Other end of the scale, indirect Ian. Uh, indirect Ian, he's very slow to confront people. If someone upsets him, he's probably not going to say anything. Um, those, are two en- those are the two ends of the spectrum. I don't think either's better or worse, it's just a cultural thing, I guess. Um, both have pros and cons. I think if we're British, we're probably more likely to be over this end of the spectrum, indirect Ian. I think our culture tends to avoid confronting people. Um, Maybe worth just taking a moment to think, where do you sit on that spectrum normally? Are you a a direct Darren, quick to confront people, or are you indirect Ian, quick to gloss over things? Which of those describes you? Um, I imagine we're all a mixture of both of those depending on what day it is and where we are and who we're with Uh, But Jesus, he's got useful stuff to say both to direct Darren and indirect Ian about how we rebuke and forgive one another. So we'll think about those in turn, rebuke and forgive, and then we're done. So firstly, rebuke. Um, Jesus wants us as a group of believers to rebuke each other when we sin against each other. As we said earlier, that is hard. Because if you're at the indirect end of the spectrum, that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? It takes genuine care in the other person's spiritual health. So I don't know, maybe there's someone here at church who's let you down when you were counting on them. Maybe there's a person you're on a serving team with and you just resent them a bit because they're a bit overbearing and bossy, or maybe they're a bit lazy and never do anything. Maybe there's someone at church you just find difficult to be around. I think the temptation Ian feels, the easy route is just to avoid them, isn't it? You know, just ghost them, talk to other people instead and just grumble about them. And we're kind of happy with that because we're British and we don't like confrontation. I remember when I was at church a a long, long time ago, there were just one or two people who were so difficult to get on with. Um, You'd just be in a conversation with them and I just felt they were endlessly thoughtless and patronising and harsh, both to me and to other people. And these difficult people, they were believers, I'm pretty sure, but it just got to a point where I I couldn't bear to talk to them because I just knew how the conversation was going to pan out and how I'd feel at the end. And so I didn't really know what to do, so each week, to my shame, I kind of just tried to avoid them. To which I think Jesus would say, come on, Ben, but how would it look to an outsider or a new believer if that is how Christians treat each other, ghosting each other? Are you going to let people like that flounder in their sin? Or are you going to step in, get your hands dirty and rebuke them and try and help them? Jesus would say, I didn't die for your sins and for their sins, just for you to give up on them. Uh, Or at home, if your spouse or your housemate lets you down. Very tempting, isn't it? To just kind of put a wall up around yourself, kind of be a bit passive-aggressive, not really address the issue, but just like drop a few hints, act quite coldly. Just take a step back from the relationship, see how they're like that for a day or two. I don't know, maybe you even find yourself grumbling about that person to your non-Christian friends. I mean, it's pretty awful, isn't it? Like, they're not going to want to become a Christian if the only Christian they know is always grumbling about other Christians. And we need to do the difficult thing and address the issue. The consequences for causing someone to stumble out the kingdom, they are dire. That was Ian. And if you're more of a direct Darren, you might think, oh, well, you know, I don't have any problems rebuking people, so I can just tick. I'm all good with that one. Uh, And obviously it's great that you are willing to confront sin in people. That's good. Uh, I suppose the question for Darren is, do you confront people because you care about them and you want to help them deal with their sin? Or do you confront them because they've upset you and having a go at them will make you feel better? Rebuking is supposed to lead to restoration, isn't it? Our rebukes, they need to gently expose sin so that there can be forgiveness. It's not a tit-for-tat way of making ourselves feel better. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke him. So that was rebuke. Uh, Then as we finish, exhaustively forgive. Forgiveness, that is hard, isn't it? It's, It's so costly when people's sin really hurts you. Uh, if you've been really relying on someone at church to help you during a hard time and, and it didn't lift a finger, man, that is painful. If it happens time after time, then even more so. But given Jesus' warning, we do need to be people who exhaustively forgive each other, even when it's painful. And I think, again, direct down and indirect Ian, they all fail to forgive in different ways, I think. If you're indirect, Ian, I think if someone says sorry to you, you're probably just very quick to gloss over it, you know, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. Uh, But then you stew on it, and the resentments, they kind of sit there on the back burner. You don't really deal with them. Maybe you store it up as ammunition for when you want to have a go at that person in the future. Uh, I mean, if you're doing that, then you clearly haven't actually forgiven them, right? You've said it, but you've not meant it. Uh, Or if you're a direct Darren, I imagine you'll withhold your forgiveness a lot more visibly... You know, I'm sorry, I just can't forgive you. You just don't know how much you've hurt me. I want to make you dwell on what you've done. And Jesus says no to both of those. Don't say I forgive you and not mean it. Don't leave them dangling. If someone says sorry, you need to forgive them. And then you need to let it go. It is your duty. Oh yeah, it's hard. And you might feel that bubble up from time to time. Forgiveness, it is costly for the forgiver. And that's something you have to bear yourself. And that is something we expect from God, isn't it? I mean, our sin against God, that is infinite, and yet he fully forgives us. And he draws a line under it. So Jesus says, Christians forgiving each other, it is ordinary, You only need tiny faith in the huge thing Jesus has done and you will find the power to forgive all kinds of wrongdoing again and again and again. You're not on your own. You've got Jesus and his example. That's what we're going for as a church at St. Paul's. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then I hope this kind of community sounds really appealing. We know that we'll let each other down, but by God's grace, we'll be ready to rebuke and exhaustively forgive each other because we have faith in the good news that God himself died and was raised so that our sins against him could be forgiven. If our church, if our homes look like that, then they'll never cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, please help us heed this warning. Uh, Whatever our personality, we struggle to rebuke and forgive others well. And Lord, we really don't want to be those who cause others to stumble out of your kingdom. So please change us. Make us disciples who forgive each other quickly and exhaustively. It feels impossible, but the power of the gospel means that seemingly impossible things do become possible. Please, can we at St. Paul's be a church where we care enough about each other to rebuke and exhaustively forgive each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.